How do you do? The Box Office Pulp Board feels it would be a little unkind to present this podcast without just a word of friendly warning. We're about to unfold a cinematic commentary track, made by a group of men who sought to create a podcast after their own ravings, without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest tales ever told. It deals with three great mysteries of the internet, analysis, observation, and deconstruction. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel you'd not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now's your chance to... Well, we've warned you. Now, to pause and refresh. For your convenience, we have an attractive refreshment stand in the lobby, with buttered popcorn, golden good and hot from the popper, your favorite candies, wholesome and rich, plus delicious Dr. Pepper, so bright and bracing with a tang and tingle unmatched by any other beverage. Enjoy an ice-cold Dr. Pepper at our beverage stand right now, and then return to fully appreciate this bop and a movie commentary track. Enjoy. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Box Office Pulp, your one podcast stop for movies, madness, and moxie. I'm your host, Cody, and joining me today is Mike and Jamie. Unlike most bops, I'm going to do my best to limit my inane ramblings and mostly get down to brass tacks. Today, <gasps> it's a miracle, I know, but you're stuck with me for an hour and a half. For everything. <laughs> I'll find a way to keep going, don't worry. We'll throw in like our half hour discussion of X-Men before recording started. Anyways, today, I want to get moving along because we're talking about uh, the Evil Dead franchise, specifically the Evil Dead reboot from 2013. We're going to be doing a bop in a movie for Fede Alvarez's The Evil Dead. One, one, um, just a quick note. Wow, you remember that this is called bop in a movie. <laughs> yeah! I actually, I wrote, I wrote stuff down ahead of time instead of trying to fly back through my pants. I feel like you should freeze frame and the Flash Gordon theme should play right now. <laughs> yeah. This is very momentous. <laughs> See, I knew he'd end up with a name rambling. Long live Bop in a movie. Ba-ba-ba-ba. Also, we're doing this because it's the anniversary of the Evil Dead remake. Very true. I was going to get into that. Uh, well... Slightly earlier in the month, wasn't it? It was like April 10th or something. I don't know. Semantics. Yeah, yeah. People Look, like, there's oh. one thing important to the Evil Dead franchise. It's the timeline being a little weird. No, it has to be exact. That's the most important thing about Evil Dead. Uh, okay, so the movie came out April 5th, 2013. Current recording time, April 19th. So technically, it would have still been in theaters. It's, it's, it's a five-year anniversary. Great. Now everyone will know how slow I was to put this together and post it. <laughs> Thank good, you. Good, good. No, I, I love Cody's insistence on anti-future proofing. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we already said it's an anniversary episode. Unless we're like, it's for all anniversaries. Six years, seven, ten. Cody, why don't you just it. start referencing that time Bill Clinton went to a McDonald's while jogging? <laughs> I mean, Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton still does that, so, you know. I just wanted to say I just referenced a random line from a very specific SNL sketch. And one so or we're two all filing on all skills. <laughs> Look, if it's not Lame Miz with lobsters, I'm not interested. 
Mulaney for life. Anyways, damn it, man. I said we were getting down to brass tacks. These are these are clearly silver tacks at best. Yes. Okay. So, uh, everyone at home, we're going to start watching the movie uh, and <laughs> providing commentary. We'll actually talk <laughs> while we watch. It's a skill we've developed over years. I can also chew gum and walk up a flight of stairs while patting my stomach at the same time. I have only died twice while doing this. Resuscitation was minor. Cody, begin the commentary, please. <laughs> I was explaining the rules of the commentary, sir. Anyways, we're going to watch the movie and comment on it. If you would like to join us, we'll be doing a countdown in just a few seconds. When we hit play, we're going to be playing the movie. Please watch along or not. It's your life. Maybe watch us on a treadmill. I don't care. You do Yay! You. Yeah! And I will count to three after I say three. Press play. And we're all ready? We're all ready. Count us down, Mike. One. Two. Three. I didn't think about this either. We are watching uh, the rated cut of the Evil Dead reboot in case one of you imported like the unrated cut and has like three extra seconds of footage you're dealing with. And if someone's going, there's an unrated cut? Yeah, there is. The damn shame. Uh, the studio didn't want you to see it for some reason. I guess it would have been too easy of money. I don't know. Yeah, because that was never released. That was just like on HBO for a weekend or something, wasn't it? It was released digitally. Yeah, so you can you can get a digital version unrated now. Uh, a lot of fans assumed we were going to end up with, you know, it on DVD because they like started putting it on TV pretty close to Halloween last year, and it never happened. I forget. Uh, wasn't that a the, the first time people saw that? Wasn't that accidentally aired? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like on pay per view for some reason. Uh, but. There's, there's a uh, some territories have gotten it. I, I, I want to say Japan, maybe Germany. I don't know. A couple of international markets have the film uncut. So if you really want a copy, you can import it. See, I love this because it makes it slightly illicit. <laughs> <laughs> it should be like Army of Darkness, where there's forty different bootleg versions of the film. Just pick up whatever one you want. So uh, I hate to be negative, and it's a terrible way to start. Boy, I but you're really Cody. do not. I exactly. I really do not like the opening of the movie. <laughs> really, I'm quite fond of it. Like, so am I. The idea of this girl walking through the woods and then the hillbilly attackers is essentially a cheat because we find out very quickly she's actually possessed. And even going on the commentary, uh, Fetty mentions like we try not to show her eyes so we don't have to cheat that she's possessed. But like the whole thing is, they're trying to show her scared. They're trying to make you think that the guy kidnapping her is the bad guy. Oh yeah, I, it's it's a bit of misdirect that I don't think we really quite need. Plus, it what? sets up like the evil force not being all that formidable in my mind. I, I would say the evil force in this movie. What makes it kind of interesting is that it's something that can be fought. Like that's the that's the thing that makes it a little bit different from the old Evil Dead franchise, where Deadites are pretty much just a god. Like I kind of like how there's a back and forth in this movie. Yeah. Also, uh, you do I like bring up the... an interesting. No, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, I like how the Deadites in this version uh, come from a more psychological place than more f- 
you know, physically formable as they are in the other movies. That's why I kind of like yes. this opening. It's sort of a tone setter for me. I mean, I, I definitely love the old version where the Deadites are just basically fucking around with you. Like, they have the oh, power yeah. to kill you when they want, but there's not enough, like, serious continuity to make that actually happen. So they'll just, like, dance in the air, throw you through a room and laugh. Whereas this one, it's, especially in this scene, it's like this dark hard edge where all of a sudden they're going to, like, mentally toy with you and then call you a cunt licker. I don't know. I, it doesn't sit as well for me, and I like things much more after the scene. In my like personal headcanon, I just chop this bit of the movie off and roll. Well, I do think that is it is kind of interesting. Like that is something that so many horror movies do that we all just kind of run with as horror fans. That you know, cold open tease where. We kind of suspend our disbelief towards not knowing what the premise of the movie we're watching is. And I, I mean, think it's kind of interesting really how most audiences just kind of do that effortless, effortlessly, like we've been trained to. Mm-hmm. I mean, this wears me out because it really shows you the whole deal. Like, you get a good glimpse of the Deadites, what they're capable of, kind of, like, what their shtick is, a little bit of the mythology. I think it gives too much of the game away in the first you know, five minutes. I mean, there's a reason why other like direct to video horror movies where the monster kills someone right away are typically done where it's like you, you just see like a fin or a person disappears in the sand. It's a tease. And to me, this is like a main course meal that's being served in place of your mozzarella sticks. Well, Alvarez has spoken about that before. That was done very intentionally just because of the slow burn of the rest of the first act. Like, he wanted to begin this movie at 11 and then take you right down to 1. And again, this is something we'll get into throughout the entire deal. Uh, I have a very hard time differentiating my actual feelings for this and my fanboy feelings for this. I love Evil Dead. Evil Dead, the franchise, is like one of my favorite film things out there. So for me to take a reboot is going to be really difficult, Uh, especially for years when they tease the possibility of an Evil Dead 4 so I am in a weird spot where a lot of my criticisms could be based on the fact that I really just want it to be the old way. But I don't think that's entirely true. I think some of my complaints might have merit or some of these patches might not work the same way as, as what I would hope and professionally care for. I appreciate your self-awareness. <laughs> if I say that, then I don't actually have to be self-aware. I can just pretend. Uh, here's another really nitpicky complaint, and this one is definitely me being a fanboy. <laughs> Thank uh, you for this amazing here. commentary. <laughs> Thank you. It'll be over in three hours, I swear. Uh, no, this was actually a big complaint that other people had when the movie came out, was that these shots are way too fucking slick for Evil Dead. Like, Sam Raimi is a master at doing cheapo, weird camera moves, especially, like, in the first two, he really played around with that stuff. But you could always tell it's like, a two-by-four with a bunch of Vaseline on it and some sheets. This one, like, it looks like there was some money, like, crane shots and all this kind of stuff. Maybe because there was, and this wasn't shot by Sam Raimi when he was in high school. Right. For no money. Like, get over it. Yeah, but, I mean, that's part of the spirit of Evil Dead, too. That kind of wonky, cheapo thing. If you're rebooting it, you're stuck in this area where, one, you want to pay homage and be nostalgic, but also do something different to draw new people. Yeah, I really hate all the money that's in Ash versus Evil Dead. It really ruined it. (laughs) 
Uh, well, that's a continuation. They're not trying to necessarily bring new people. They're trying to please the old fans. This one is trying to be nostalgic and also pave forward. So you, you end up kind of with a tightrope walk where you could easily piss off both sides. Well, I think I don't really know if that's something you could really do anymore unless you just approach this po- this project with a zero budget. Right. I mean, t- this, it's not like this is a hugely budgeted film. Uh, this is still uh, this is still very tight filmmaking. It's just this is what you know a small horror movie looks like. That that isn't on like literally a indie. Let's just raise some money and shoot a movie in the woods budget. In the mid eighties, <laughs> horror budgets are actually kind of fascinating because they kind of froze since the eighties. Like this was a seventeen million dollar production, which is still like. Not great. Like, that's super cheap. Hellboy, the first Hellboy cost $60 million, but that was an action sci-fi film, so they got more. Uh, but if you look at something like John Carpenter's The Thing, that was considered pretty big budget at the time, and that was $14 million. And that was 1980s. Like, poorer budgets have not really gone up the same way every other film budget has. No, not at all. In fact, they might have, like, kind of gravitated down by the time you factor in inflation with like Blumhouse movies that are all like a million dollar micro budget kind of things. Yeah, even uh, with horror franchises today, the more money they make, the, the budgets don't really move. Oh no. You'll maybe get like an increase of a million dollars or something. And then the rest will go to advertising. Yeah. It's so it, it, it horror is just shockingly treated differently. Also, I, I want to get this out of the way as quickly as possible. Can we take appreciation just for a moment at how incredible Jane Levy is? Like, I have never been more instantly impressed with an actress than I was the first time I watched this. I this can't believe sad. she's not become a huger star since this. Because this is kind of a career-making performance. Well, what did, what did she have for movies before this? It was it was pretty much just, just a TV, TV show, series. right? Yep. Yeah. Which was still uh, on, like, for a couple of years after this. Yeah. And after, boy, Evil Dead, I'm having a hard time thinking of other, like, big projects she was on. There was, she uh, was in Don't a low-budget horror movie and Don't Breathe. I think that was it. Yeah, which is kind of surprising. You would You would think... Like the impressive thing here is, uh, for as much as fanboys can get upset about reboots, there's not a lot of hate online for the Mia character. People Shocking are fairly life. accepting of it, right? Like it would be very easy to have an Evil Dead reboot come out and for people to basically be like, "No, this is an Ash. I'm mad." But they don't feel that way towards Mia, so you'd almost think like that'd be a doorway right there. If she wanted to do a bunch of horror films, like she could be the new Jamie Lee Curtis. It was hilarious seeing little pinpricks of that before this movie's release of people who were angry because they rightfully predicted that Mia was going to be the Ash stand-in. And watching them try to phrase that in a way that wasn't, I'm mad because a girl is the star of this movie, was fucking hilarious. Because there was nothing for them to go on. They hadn't seen the movie. They didn't know any details, but they still wanted to be mad, but wanted to be the good guy. <laughs> we got Levy. 
there's a specific quality to Levy that I see in very few actresses. It's like she has that 10,000-yard stare of a woman coming out of a gas station with a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> when you occasionally just see somebody out the corner of your eye and you think, okay, I don't want to fuck with that person. She has that without having to say a single word. It's a little weird to think, actually, of like the entire cast here. Uh, Lou T- Taylor, what a butcher's last name, Pucci? Pookie? I like Pookie. The actor who plays Eric. Pookie, why not? He's actually been in like a decent number of things besides. It's like I notice him in movies all the time, it feels like. Yeah. Jessica Which Lucas is, is on Gotham. <laughs> I, I have yet to watch an actual episode of Gotham. I don't know if I'm missing out. Yes and no. (laughs) It's like, don't uh, don't watch Gotham, but occasionally just go on a Wikipedia article or watch a clip or something and it it will brighten your life. (laughs) It's like the same relationship I had with Smallville. Like, I'm not going to watch this, but it makes me smile to know that this crazy thing is happening somewhere. (laughs) Fair enough. I love the choice in this movie to frame this entire plot around a couple of friends going into the woods to get another friend clean, which I remember Alvarez said was the only reason that's the plot of the movie is because why else would anyone go to a cabin in the woods in 2013? It's a good point. I would, I would honestly disagree. Like, if I had a cabin available to me, I would for sure grab as many friends as I could to drag them out there. <laughs> That's because you're Cody, though. It's true. Like, <laughs> you would be the one picking them off one by one. <laughs> in my mind, like, this would be the perfect summer vacation. You get, like, five buddies to go out into a spooky cabin in the woods and just fuck around. Uh, and basically reenact cabin fever. Like, someone's going to drink beer the entire time. Someone else's skin is going to fall off. There's going to be a weird kung fu kid at the grocery store. I could easily see you being like, okay, I have the snacks, the music, and the flesh-eating bacteria. Where's everybody going? <laughs> it's too late. It's already in your system. Surprise! Bonding time! It's more meaningful because there's less of it left. Oh no, we're recreating the remake! <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, uh, public service announcement. Don't bother with the remake. <laughs> Cabin Fever. <laughs> I know you were all really excited for that Cabin Fever remake, but try to try to contain yourself. Friends don't let friends watch the Cabin Fever remake. Also, am I the only one obsessed with how 70s that one guy looks? It's my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> I think like, it was somehow a nice has 70s glasses. I love that. I, I think like more horror movies should just do that, because it immediately like gets away the cell phone part of the, the issue, like you don't even have to do the hackneyed line of, oh, there's no signal out here. You just assume seeing that kind of hair that they're just trapped in the 70s. <laughs> they're in hell. <laughs> it's a weird part for me. Like horror movies simply don't work as well when they're contemporary. In my mind, like perfect horror movies are set in the 70s or made in the 70s. It's not a hard rule, but it just is so much easier to get away from technology if they're set in the past. 
Yeah, it's 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 very difficult to set a cat and mouse thriller in a surveillance state. Yeah, I'm very nervous for how it part two is going to turn out, considering how well part one works at back in the eighties. Well, Pennywise is just going to be on Facebook. <laughs> to be fair, unfriend, I don't think you can unfriend. like get on your cell phone to call Pennywise away or anything. So <laughs> I think it kind of works its way itself out. Hopefully. I, I And then there have been movies I've gotten away with it. Like, Drag Me to Hell works out pretty good. Magic. magic. Right, they just directly magic away the phones. Like, there's a goat man on your phone. Don't try it. <laughs> I the never. amount of times you've texted friends with that. <laughs> the caller is inside the goat. And I've always wanted to just find a hidden door in my floor. And not just to recreate the Jeff Bridges film, The Door and the Floor, but... <laughs> I can't everybody. believe a second person's gonna... mind went there. <laughs> Is that why we're doing this commentary? You just wanted to make a fucking joke? Yes. <laughs> All right, that's fair enough. I can't blame you. I'm, just, I'm glad somebody else has been obsessed with that trailer for years. <laughs> the Door Don't the open The Door and the Floor. <laughs> Is that part of his new sleep tapes? It's essentially that delivery. I'm just obsessed with the fact that that movie has a horror movie trailer, but is just like an erotic thriller. So this is bullshit. They should have still been growing potatoes down here. (laughs) There should be random gourds. Come on. I fruit seller. (laughs) I will say, though, as much shit as cabins in the woods get for being kind of like played out. I am still always game for a horror movie set in a cabin in the woods. Same. I I don't care what the monster is. It could be zombies, witches, vampires, uh, slashers. Don't care. If there's people hanging out in the woods and then they start getting murdered one by one, you have found my aesthetic. I mean, look how much fun that seems like. (laughs) What I would love to see is one of these movies set in a really, really nice, like, yuppie cabin. Oh, that'd be fun. Like something one of the Trumps would go to on their uh, weekend huntery. There's, but a, there's evil a lot dead of sp- happens. Yeah, there's a lot of spin room left for a cabin in the woods. I was worried after the cabin in the woods came out that it was going to essentially ruin a lot of horror films. Like with that level of meta commentary, how do you go back to watching things straight? It, it's kind of like after spaghetti westerns. Do you, is it possible to go back and do a John Wayne Western anymore? Like, there has to be a certain amount of winking to the camera at this point. You can't go back and make a true blue 40s Western. Well, that's... It's weird to think. Scream had that effect on horror movies in the 90s. The Cabin in the Woods didn't really make much of a ripple as far as the making of horror went. It's been diminishing returns, I want to say, in the meta-commentary field. Hey, a throwback transition... Hey, also, I just want to, since we passed it, I have always loved the sneaky face on the book, copyright free, just using the barbed wire while it's wrapped up. <laughs> uh, Evil Dead and s- sneaky faces, that's a tradition that should always happen. <laughs> like, if you make the cabin look like a really weird skull, you're doing it all right. Pazuzu is actually hidden in the background of several scenes. <laughs> Did 
Damn, we were talking about something that got distracted by raw meat. <laughs> uh, the diminishing returns of horror oh. meta humor. Yeah, well, not even meta humor, but just groundbreaking horror that shakes the franchise roots. I mean, I think the biggest thing you would have is something like back in the day, Halloween just changes how everyone else approaches horror. Everyone was impacted by Halloween. There's even if you're not trying to make a slasher movie, you're aware of what Halloween did and try and copy some of those things or purposely move away from them. And as you move forward, the audiences are more scattered, it feels like, and it's hard to get one product that changes the landscape. So Scream, as huge as it was, it, it, it made a lot of imitators and changed maybe how we go after horror movies, the mood and the awareness we have. But it was a fairly limited impact, I would say, compared to something like Halloween. And even now, maybe something like Get Out, which had a huge, huge number of people that saw it, it's yet to be seen how that impacts other films coming out after it. Which I would almost say will probably be to a smaller degree. You know, it just gets less over time. I think the last time I saw something really change the playing field was the first Saw, where everyone just kind of looked at each other and said, okay, this is what we're doing now. <laughs> right. And that, that really just kicked off a wave because, I mean, it went away after a while. And I think that's proved by the fact that Jigsaw came out and everyone just kind of shrugged. Well, the problem is it's like when Paranormal Activity came out, it was huge and was, and was the new thing. The amount of... It's like after Halloween, there was a ton of slasher ripoffs, but mm -hmm. you can it, it was very easy to not notice that stuff. Uh, it's a lot harder to go without noticing the gluttony that comes when giant studios are immediately trying to cash in. Yeah. So especially when they then they were doing uh, you know paranormal activity every year, it immediately just wore out that being the new thing when found footage got huge with paranormal activity. It immediately got worn out. To interrupt, I am a huge sucker for any time they have a POV shot of the force in the woods. <laughs> like it doesn't matter if a movie's ripping it off from Evil Dead or if it's the original Evil Dead. I always love those shots. One of my I, favorite shots all time is Evil Dead 2, where the forest chases Ash into the cabin all the way through the cabin. Oh, yeah. I feel like it's one of those shots that's impossible to fuck up. <laughs> it really is. Like, there's just like so it always much... looks dynamic. Yeah, there's so much energy from those shots. And you're just like, oh, boy, I don't know what's chasing him, but it's moving fast. It's just going to smash right into him. Didn't they nearly kill Jane Levy? What? In the making of this movie with the uh, the camera shot? Uh, yeah, she took the last donut and they were pissed. <laughs> Craft services is nothing to fuck with. There's a couple of weird stories in the making of this movie. Where it's like, and if one thing went slightly different, I would have died. <laughs> well, I, I do remember the camera story. Like, they had the camera basically charging towards her and it didn't stop at the same point they expected it to, like, from practice. And, I, I mean, those cameras seem pretty hefty. I would definitely not want to get smacked by one of those on, like, tram line or anything. I have to say, as terrible as it would have been to lose Jane Levy, can you imagine being killed by the invisible force from Evil Dead in real life? <laughs> on camera, no kind less. of amazing. Right? Uh, if That's that happens decadence. to me, please play the footage at my funeral. Like, on a giant screen... Just show that footage of me being crushed to death by uh, the Force in the Woods camera. That is how I want you to die. I'm just going to say this now. That's fair. Um, That's how I. You're just running from the camera. Uh, uh, uh. 
Work shed. <laughs> That's my rosebud. <laughs> I say that as I get run over. <laughs> So this might be uh, heading things off a little bit, but coming up here, we have probably the most controversial part of the film. And I mean, Evil Dead in general with the tree rape. And it's, it's a very weird spot to think about. Like even when the movie came out, there were people that were cheering for it and people that were disgusted by the fact that people would cheer for that. And I'm wondering if we're getting to the point now in cinema where that's uh, kind of a deal that should just be put to bed. Even if it is part of franchise history, it's still, I don't know. It's Evil Dead, so it's always going to be schlock-based. But it still is super uncomfortable for a lot of social reasons and, you know, just the depiction of rape. I'm kind of in the middle about it, where it wouldn't have broken my heart if that scene wasn't in the movie. But... I have to say, comparing it to the original tree rape, yeah. which is an amazing thing to say, like that was actually a tree raping a woman in a movie. This is kind of just subtextual. Like, it's just yeah, a it's, fucked up shot. Yeah, it's it's oddly less disturbing. Like, it's it seems less graphic, even though they're still showing quite a bit. I don't know, for me, it's a weird trend, too, because... The next movie from Fetty was, you know, Don't Breathe, which had that whole pretty weird subplot. So I don't know if that's uh, just a coincidence or if that's just going to be part of all of his horror films. Oh, this this didn't come from Fetty. I'm sure it's like a Tappard suggestion, but it is. Oh, yeah, that Tappard insisted this be in the movie. <laughs> that, that's that's interesting to, to think when we watch the scene coming up. This made Fede Alvarez say, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Which is a fair thing. Like, I, I don't really know how much is needed. And even if you talk to Sam Raimi now, he'll go back and say, like, yeah, at the time it made perfect sense to do that scene. But as an adult, I look back on it and I kind of cringe. Which, well, I, when I, I first heard like... him say that, I kind of thought, like, oh, that's just an old man thing you say. Like, you get older and you don't want to do, like, shocking stuff anymore. But maybe it's because I'm becoming an old man, I feel like, well, maybe there's merit to it. Like, he's doing something to shock, but this is also supposed to be a wacky kind of fun horror movie. And it's maybe too much on the side of schlock. Well, it's in a very different context when you're watching it in a video nasty. Where kind of the point of what you're seeing is to be ludicrous and offensive. Hmm. Which, again, I think... if they were going to have this scene in the movie, this is really the best and only way you could actually pull it off. Well, it's all tone and context. There's nothing particularly lurid about it. It's all tone and context. This is going for horror, and it's fitting the tone and context overall of various things throughout the film. So it makes sense. The original film, it's pretty much just there to be schlocky and... Not even schlocky, just shocking, essentially. Just It's a tree fucking. Yeah, it, it, so... It makes me think of, like, the difference between Meet the Feebles and the Frighteners. Like, <laughs> some stuff only belongs in certain pictures, and the same director could not deliver the same results in all of his pictures. Plus, this is a, this is a very different context where you don't even necessarily have to look at it 
as subtextual rape. I mean, with the plot of Mia uh, being a recovering addict, it's more just poison entering her body. It's more of a forced shooting up than it is a sexual violation. Yeah, it works both ways. It's all just really horrifying and uncomfortable. We're now going to make the audience at home stare at what's happening. What an odd odd yet amazing effect. I don't know. I was just thinking I forgot how weird that looked. Oh, it's the sound effect that fucking really sells it, though. Oh, New Zealand. Even when you're spooky, you're beautiful. (laughs) More movies, I'm going to insist, should have copious amounts of fog in the forest. We got away from that after the 40s, and boy, we need to go back to it. Forests will always be foggy. That is primo strangulation weather. (laughs) I think they had to get away from it, because like the fog they used to use in the black and white days also... Like gave people, people cancer. Yeah. yeah. Oh, everyone died on <laughs> the, the wolf, man. was the real monster. <laughs> <laughs> I would say the second most controversial part of this movie is the fact that there's a dog that gets hurt. There's actually a movie out there where you can track if the dog dies in the film. Oh yeah, if the dog dies. Which, com. Yeah, like that, that's a huge deal. I'll, I'll watch movies with people. A lot of times now, people will stop me and say, "Like, hey, it's a horror movie. There's a dog, right?" And I'll be like, "Yeah," and they'll follow it up with, "Does the dog die?" And if the answer is yes, they immediately want to watch something different. I agree. I never like it when I wish the dog lived. I wish the dog got a chainsaw hand. That would be amazing. The dog was the hero for the amount they use the dog. I almost wish they just hadn't included a dog at all. Like maybe they just have a really quiet, furry, short friend, and that guy gets murdered instead. I agree. It's always kind of cheap to kill animals, I I, got to admit, which is weird to say, but... It's it's the horror equivalent of a little girl dropping her teddy bear in a crowd scene. Yeah. (laughs) And it's it's very weird in horror movies, too, because typically the advice is, if you want to illustrate that someone's bad, you have them kick a dog. Then you know that guy's evil. In a horror movie, we pretty much always know right away who the evil person is. It's, you know, the rotting corpse that's trying to devour your brain. You don't need them to eat a dog on top to let the audience know that this guy's not friendly. Okay, two things. One, when it comes to horror movies, stop killing dogs. We get it. Two, in action movies, stop having the bad guy kill one of his underlings in one of his first scenes. We get it. Right. (laughs) It's like it's pretty much it's like the same trope. Like the second Casanova Frankenstein did that to prove a point, I think the trope was put to bed. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that more in our eventual Mystery Men commentary. You joke, but I would be all about that. I'm surprised we haven't already. Oh, yeah, we have a certain uh, mini series coming up that I think that would be prime for. Cross promotion. Sure Boy, as a child, Mystery Men was my jam. Okay, we don't need to go down a Mystery Men hole right now. I I stopped. I wanted to. I stopped. (laughs) This movie is only an hour and a half long. That's true. Also, just to turn back the clock a little bit, remember when the first trailer was just this scene? (laughs) (laughs) The trailers for this movie are some of my favorite trailers ever put together. 
honestly, the trailers in some instances make better choices than the movie we're watching. It's true. I will never forgive Cut It not being in this movie. I'm still oh, right. I wonder if that's in the unrated cut or I if that's just something I, they filmed and dropped. I think it's in the unrated cut. Someone's so yelling as, right now. I can't hear you. I'm sorry. This is in the past and on your phone. <laughs> it's really one. We are all prisoners of time. <laughs> it's a flat circle. Don't listen. We'll get you in a minute. Uh, honestly, as a huge fan of uh, movie memorabilia, I'm always very disappointed that there hasn't been a super awesome Book of the Dead replica out there for fans. Like where you can turn the pages like it's a real book. That has always been so ridiculous to me. The closest you have is that one DVD set. Right, and that deteriorated after a couple of years because it was made of a cheap rubber. Uh, <laughs> but this one, like, they actually show you a lot of pages in the book, like, fully illustrated. They could yeah. easily make, like, a, a replica of this and just have, like, making of fun facts in the back half. Or, like, the art of Evil Dead and just make half of it the Book of the Dead. I would totally spring for that. And without the yeah, face, it's, kind of... it's uh, copyright free. <laughs> That's one of those things where they'd just be printing money, but they've just never gotten around to it. I feel like, and even though it's kind of a niche group, it's horror fans. They'll buy this stuff. We're very eager to buy junk. Well, God, Mike, you can tell stories about your searches to find a decent lament decoration. Oh, God, it's so difficult. That seems There's... like one there should be a thousand out there. Nope. You have to find people who make them themselves. You cannot buy official ones. That's so weird. And oh, and if you want to make, the only to official make one is a Rubik's uh-huh. Cube. Didn't they used to sell like the DVDs inside of like a replica box like that? Uh, there was one uh, box set that was inside like a replica, like cardboard replica, essentially. Very briefly. Uh, um, it's uh. It's not. It's since been replaced by um, years later by the Scarlet box set. That's true, but that's only the uh, the first three films. No, I think Bloodline is uh is in there. Was it? Oh, yeah, I, I remember. There's corn. There's more than you would expect to be in there. Well, there's and a ton actually, of features. The, yeah, the Scarlet box set actually has um the fucking uh, Doctor Pinhead scene from Hellraiser Two as a deleted scene. Ooh. Oh yeah, shit! Not good. I was. I was putting that off. Maybe I should actually buy it before it like stops existing. Probably. It's like it's like a hundred dollars, though, isn't it? No, you can find it on sale for like closer to sixty. Yeah, I've seen it for like eighty on Amazon pretty regularly. Yeah, which is still super pricey, considering I only really enjoy like the first two Hellraisers. It depends though. If there's like four movies in there, that's way more worth it. I thought it was only the first like three. This is a game changer. It's not like you need more than that, to be fair. I yeah. mean, I basically just want one, two, and Bloodline. What's you wrong just with want three? to make sure that Pinhead dies by laser. Three is <laughs> all right, but yes, I, I like I like the finale. I like Bloodline. Why are we talking about? <laughs> I don't know. This is an amazing effect. Let's talk about this some is of this goddamn fantastic so cool. practical effects. So I'm assuming this was done with some sort of bladder. I think. Like, I don't know how they did it, but boy, howdy. That's that's one of the top marks I have to give this. I cannot criticize in any way the dedication they had towards practical effects. And they really, really, really pull this stuff off. It's it's amazing. You don't even see the seams like you would expect so much. 
Yeah, it's amazing to think Fede had to fight for that. Well, it'd be so much easier just to do it with a little bit of CGI. And you could still make it look hokey as shit if you wanted to. There's, there's a huge difference of opinion between what Evil Dead should be, I think, between the original founders of Evil Dead and, you know, the, the group making this version. Even though they were producers, I think they gave them a little bit of freedom, and I don't know how comfortable Tappert was with a lot of things that happened. Yeah, Tappert was super pushing for CGI. Not necessarily from an aesthetic place, but just to make the movie easier. All right, yeah. But, I mean, even if you watch, like, Ash vs. Evil Dead right now, Tappert will come on and do, like, a post-episode interview. He's the only guy they ever talked to, it feels like. So he's got such a huge hand in this entire series. Which is kind of funny, because if you think about it, you always think Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi. But Tappert's been the driving force of this thing for so long. Yeah. It does amuse the hell out of me that Bruce Campbell was a producer on this. Like, he had to sign checks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious to hear him talk about that. Like, talking to the composer and things. Things like that. It's like, talking Mr. Campbell over here. He was at <laughs> meetings and on conference calls. Mr. The Man with the Screaming Brain? Also, uh, seek out any interview you can find where Campbell talks about being a producer on this movie. It's hilarious. Because it always comes down to, we could do this, or we could do what Sam did and stick a playing card and a bicycle spoke. Hmm. <laughs> I think we should do the money thing. <laughs> Bruce Campbell is an amazing guy to watch in general. Like, his books are fantastic. He's such a good storyteller. I would love it if he had, like, his own podcast where he just basically recounted all the weird shit he's gone through in Hollywood. Oh, and he takes zero shit, too. Like, I was watching a Q&A with him earlier today, and if you asked him a stupid question, he'd just pull the mic really close and say, that's a stupid question, and then pass the <laughs> mic to somebody else. I would love it if him and uh, Ron Perlman did like a buddy comedy with those attitudes and then did Q&As for it. There'd be no straight man. It's just two older guys who don't give a fuck about stupid people. Yeah, I appreciate how self-aware Campbell is on specifically the first Evil Dead. It's one of the reasons he was so impressed with this, because... He will tell you at any opportunity. You realize Sam and I didn't know what we were doing when we made that movie. Like, <laughs> I'm a horrible, horrible actor in that. Everyone is. Watch this version instead. <laughs> also, uh, that made my fanboy heart very happy where you get the dead-eyed voices. And now oh, the yeah. it's a trick, get an axe kind of shot. With a slight version where it's the actual deadite that grabs him instead of, you know, a third party that stops him from making the mistake. Also, this is a scene that nearly killed this actress. Yeah, drowning in blood. One thing we passed by just a second ago, I do appreciate the deadite noises they've added this time, where they kind of, like, have this weird cracking neck sound as they twitch around. I was like, it's it's a distinct little calling card. It's something we haven't seen in any of the other Evil Dead films. It's a neat little twist that I appreciate. I like that this is the one movie where the Deadites are consistent. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's so weird. Like the mythology in Evil Dead is Swiss cheese, which is not even between the, the movies, just in the individual movies themselves. Every oh. Deadite is completely different. Oh yeah, they all operate in weird ways. There's no <laughs> hardcore logical consistency. <laughs> Something I really liked about this movie, too, is the change of the Deadites, with the sound effects and how they operate and how they act. But they still pretty much talk like Deadites, which has always amused me. It's they're very surreal. Yeah, it's very I really, surreal. I really enjoy the fact when they want, they can make it a hurricane. Like <laughs> when the Deadites reveal themselves and all of a sudden wind just blows into the house and rattles the doors. That's It's fun. I like that announcement. And I appreciate that they kept what could be seen as a kind of too supernatural, goofy tone in this uh, more serious form of Evil Dead. And speaking of surreal, one thing I really appreciate this movie that never really gets brought up is what I think is a very intentional juxtaposition between classic horror characters and modern horror characters. Like we see Dr. 70s in there with his hair and his glasses. Then we get characters like her and Mia's brother, who are just who who would be headlining the you know nineteen ninety nine Scream knockoff? <laughs> like it kind of feels like this is a this is a celebration of the past thirty years of horror. So, how do you guys feel about uh, the added mythology that this one throws in? Because in the original Evil Dead, like they just play it fast and loose. In this one, we actually have moments like what we just saw where the book flips open to a page of someone tearing their face off and then we essentially treat that as foreshadowing where it happens right away that someone's got to you know, tear their face off or someone needs to be buried alive because the book mentioned that. I, there seems like there's a lot more suggestions of hard mythology. Yeah, that's what I um, really liked when I, when I was taking things away from this film is the attention paid to mythology and the difference in mythology. Like it doesn't try to be evil dead mythology. It builds its, its own thing, uh, more inspired by the little pieces you can make sense out of from the original <laughs> mythology. But I, what I like about how they, how Alvarez uses mythology is it cre- It makes a very small contained film feel fucking gigantic. And it, and that kind of, it's it's like a version of horror you don't get very often, that very contained look, but there's all this happening around that contained area. With the with the abomination, when it starts raining blood, it makes the horror uh much much more frightening and much much larger than life, uh, to where it really feels like something you can't quite fight, despite the fact they've made the deadites more fightable. Which that's why I kind of dig the mythology they went they went for. And then there's this horrible thing. This horrible thing. That's what they should call the scene. Also, I love that this is framed like she's jacking off. Yeah. <laughs> this is so unsettling. You get that macaroni and cheese stirring noise. Yeah. Plus the mythology gives you things like that. See, so I how, love how, how they... what's everyone's interpretation of that. How does that fit into the mythology? Because there's a page of someone tearing their face off, so it's part of the ritual. But I couldn't tell you how that connects to everything or how it's supposed to. 
I think there's just something about the ritualization of self-harm, which is something relatively minor from the Deadites in the original movies that they zeroed in on. And I'm really glad they did, because that really is the most fucked up and disturbing thing about these characters. There's something so... To interrupt with fucked up and disturbing, to me, this is the A number one fucked up and disturbing part of the movie. The the needle in the eye. uh, (laughs) This wonderful bit of sleight of hand where he pulls the needle out practically by just hiding the needle behind his fingers as he pulls. Like, this is a wonderful Sam Raimi camera kind of trick. It works so good and it's so fucked up. And that was glued to his eye skin. That's, oh, that's fantastic. That is primo work there. I love this little scene. So, um, going back to the self-harm thing, what's also great about it is how it connects back to the subtext of the um, drug addiction. This entire movie is pretty much just about drug addiction and self-harm. Yeah, it's something – I'm very surprised that more horror films haven't used drug use as something to pull through because, God, if there's ever a unstoppable corrupting force in the world, it's that. I think it's it's probably a little difficult from the fact that to accurately portray someone who's strung out on drugs, you have to de-glamorize them, which is the exact opposite of what every producer wants to do with like your leading star. Even if it's horror, a lot of times you don't want to necessarily make like your lead person look like they're strung out and going through withdrawals. God, I just realized it's it's just Evil Dead and the career of Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> I think what's more surprising is pass out and start writing Cujo. <laughs> I think what's more surprising is how many people don't know this movie's about anything. Yeah, because it, it's funny. It's something that doesn't dawn on to on you until the last five minutes. It's like Mother. The, you just get that the, glorious moment of, oh. No, man, for me, Mother was the whole time like, I see what he's up to. And I was laughing like a stupid old person, like an old, old, wizened man. Like, hee, 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 ah. The whole Aronofsky, time. you card. Pretty much. That was that was a reaction of me in the theater the entire time I was watching Mother. The, <laughs> they must the, have thrown you out of there. <laughs> the couple next to me was not having it. They were very angry and confused. Okay. Independent of that, I'm just imagining. Can you imagine being the one person having a blast at Mother? <laughs> Mother, like, as dark as Mother gets, there's a lot of funny shit happening in that movie. <laughs> in my mind, Mother is a very, very dark uh, comedy on top of everything else that it is. I can't argue with that. <laughs> That's the fucked up thing. Yeah. But uh, the, the, dr- the drug aspect of Evil Dead, I think, is underplayed possibly a little too much, and it makes it very easy for people to miss. I do wish it, there was a little bit more content with that. Like, in the fabled, like extended edition the true extended edition that i don't think we'll ever see there's apparently like a good what 20 minutes missing that's very focused on mia and her backstory like the fact that her brother brought a date to an intervention which (laughs) kind of goes unaddressed in this movie is apparently a big deal in that version yeah there's 
I mean, I probably just have a very different perspective of Mia since I didn't have to write and live with her. But when you listen to the commentary from Fede, like he refers to Mia as like the only innocent one in this group, which it throws me for a loop because it's like, I, I don't necessarily agree with that or see it. And uh, part of the point he was trying to make was even when Mia is possessed, she doesn't outright kill anyone. Like all the people either kill themselves when they're possessed or they become possessed and murder one of their other friends, but she doesn't actually do that. Which is kind of stretching the idea of uh, purity in my mind, but hey, whatever floats your boat. Oh, Cody, as long as your hand isn't on the trigger, they can't convict you. <laughs> is that how you solve the trolley problem? <laughs> exactly. Yes. Also, I would say that actually plays into the allegory of the drugs, which is essentially saying deep down, Mia doesn't want to be addicted. She doesn't want to do any of the things she's doing, but it's out of her control. So she's the only one who doesn't outright kill anybody. But at the same time, the sickness inside of her is spreading to the people she cares about and destroying them, whether she wants it or not. Exactly. And I would, I would think too, but coming down on Mia's side is maybe slightly muddled because we don't get that time up front to necessarily distinguish that the other people have their own faults and possibly have some sort of punishment coming. Like, if you're trying to cast her as the pure one compared to them, we need to see something that shines uh, poorly on their side. We get a little bit with her brother, but I don't think it shines as brightly as Fede imagined, or possibly made in his original cut. Yeah. Also, boy, this is a funky erotic scene. I love oh. how she's just a J-horror character for a moment. <laughs> All of the lighting for the basement is fantastic. If you're making an Evil Dead film, you have to make the Deadites look fucked up as shit when they're in the cellar. So, A-plus marks there. I'm obsessed with the color of blood that's on me at all times. <laughs> oh, I mean, I love it's, it's, it's like they're going for the more traditional Raimi black, but it's hard to tell because it's very dark. The razor lick. That perfect red band trailer, Stinger. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that sold the tickets right there. As soon as like I saw the trailer where her tongue splits in two and kind of waggles a little bit on both sides, I knew I had to go opening weekend. I would have anyways, but that sold me. Also, another scene that nearly killed an actress. Relate <laughs> <laughs> uh, Levy saying like they had to work out a system where she would pinch her if the blood started going up her nose. <laughs> Yeah, looking at that violence, I'm reminded that, you know, it's like the last two years or so, everybody's kind of like, wow, horror's, horror's back, especially like rated R horror and then all that, which it is. But it's not really paying attention to, like, how Evil Dead came out and out of nowhere made a fuck ton of money and everyone really liked it. Yeah, it's weird. That's kind of the curse of the remake, I feel. It's something, something we've talked about a lot in the past, where the good thing is if a bad remake comes out, it evaporates in a couple of weeks. Like, holy shit, there was a Total Recall remake. Remember it? Neither do oh, I. Jesus, yeah. But by the same token, if a really good remake comes out, it also kind of evaporates. Yeah, but at least at the Total Recall remake or something like that, no one watched it and made no money. Even everyone who made Evil Dead were shocked that it made money. 
Yeah, worldwide it came in just south of 100 million, which is pretty damn good, especially when you go back and like it was made for 17 million. That those are good numbers. Traditionally, you know, if this was an original movie, you would immediately have a greenlit sequel. Yeah. But listening to the the producers talk about it, I I think Tapper got cold feet because the fan reaction wasn't necessarily what he was hoping for. Like, the hardcore Evil Dead fans looked at this and went, great, when are you going to cross it over with Ash? And they instead kind of turned towards, well, what if we did Ash versus Evil Dead, the TV show? And since that's been going for a couple seasons now, they're they're happy just doing that instead. You know, Fede went off and did his own thing. I know Fede said, like, as soon as this movie was done, he started working on the script for Evil Dead 2. And and Sam had ideas. Well, yeah, he'd been talking about, like, when the movie's out, he was doing the rounds, and he's talking about how, like, Evil Dead 2 is when things are going to get really crazy, and he's going to fully embrace the supernatural aspects of the film. Well, God, remember that brief, glorious period where we were supposed to get another Army of Darkness and another Evil Dead, and then a crossover movie? Yeah. Like, they had big plans for Evil Dead, and then they kind of, they let it simmer. And it's it's very odd, because, yeah, the movie made money, but instead they went back to Evil Dead original, which I, I'm very excited for, because more Bruce Campbell is better. If we could have somehow had both, it would have been cool. Yeah. Well, it to just ends fair, up being though, kind could... of um, retroactively shitty, that they it just kind of looks like they made this movie to gain interest to then make the TV show. Yeah, and then just kind of left, the, I mean, left this off to kind of rot off to the side, which you know sucks. Might be kind of the case though, because I, I don't know if we would have actually gotten Ash versus Evil Dead if this had not come out and kind of revitalized interest oh, in the franchise. It would never have happened. Yeah, and it is kind of frustrating where it's like I really like Ash versus Evil Dead. I really like this movie and want to see a sequel. I, I don't know which one I shoot. I don't know if you have to shoot either, honestly. They're distinct enough where this has more of a serious tone. It's it's made in a more professional style where they're not trying to be goofy. Well, Whereas Ash vs. Evil Dead is like a fun ride for TV where each episode revolves around a set piece and they don't care that, you know, it's kind of a throwback in terms of style and effects. You could well, easily I just mean have as both. Far as, I just mean as far as, like, getting an Evil Dead 2 compared to Ash vs. Evil Dead. Like, uh, I'm not okay. sure which universe I want to live in. I... I'm very happy with Ash vs. Evil Dead. Uh, I, I'm so happy we've gotten three seasons of it. Uh, it's wrapping up in a few weeks here, so I'm very hopeful that we possibly get a fourth season. That's oh, yeah, likely, everyone but... listening to this, please watch Ash vs. Evil yeah. Dead. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, and I, I'd be so bummed out if we don't get more, because right now Bruce Campbell's basically saying, if this is it, this is it. We're not getting like a new Ash movie or anything. He's going to leave the character behind. I will say... I... It is still possible, especially with the traction Alvarez is getting, that we can just get an Evil Dead 2 in a couple of years after Ash wraps up. I mean, it's possible. If you look at like the trajectory of Evil Dead 1 and 2, there was a decent number of years between those projects. It's still totally possible. It's not like he's not working with Ghost uh, House anymore or anything. Right. Yeah, Grammy still just... produced Don't Breathe. Yeah, I just looked it up. Yeah, there is a six-year gap between Evil Dead 1 and 2, which is sizable, but heck, horror fans would still follow it. The important thing is that we are, for a fact, getting Don't Breathe 2. Is Whatever the hell that's going to be. That is happening. I feel like that's one of those movies that, don't cut it, don't cut it. 
I feel like that's one of those movies that can't happen because how do you set up the sequel? There's a sequel idea, and Sam Raimi said it's the greatest idea for a sequel he's ever heard. <laughs> like, you can't just go back to the house and have, like, new kids go in there, and it's so weird that you'd have, like, the blind guy chase a family across the nation. <laughs> in his car, like he's the creeper. <laughs> Anything yeah. is possible. I, I will say, oh, hold they up, hold made... Up. This moment right here, the arm flop. <laughs> <laughs> Splat. Oh. And I will cool. say they're they made like five Coffin Joe films and that had pretty much the same premise. So anything is possible. It's possible. I just don't know like if that's something I need to see. Yes, you do. I know you I know need you to, see need to see it. <laughs> I need to see more of Scott Lang doing that performance. Scott what is Lang. <laughs> what is what is uh, Fede up to uh, right yeah, now? I thought you know he what I meant. He's I doing he um Calm down. He's doing um, the girl on the spider's web. Okay. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he's doing the most random project Fede Alvarez could possibly be doing. The weird, slightly copyright-free Girl with the Dragon Tattoo sequel that has nothing to do with the David Fincher movie. Based on the book Steve, that Stieg Larsson did write. It's almost as if Sony has no idea what they're doing. Yet I'm just really no. glad Fede Alvarez is doing this big budget studio movie. God, you know, uh, in, in looking up some Alvarez interviews in preparation for this, I saw a random uh, nugget he dropped in one, which is he, he didn't go into detail, but he says that he did briefly talk to Marvel around the time he was doing Don't Breathe. I thought he was uh, one of the guys in line for Doctor Strange. Yeah, I think his name I, did come out That's what I assumed briefly. when he said that. I, I could actually see Alvarez doing Doctor Strange. Yeah, they had a short list of horror directors for Doctor Strange for some reason. That was like the vibe they were going for, even though Strange really didn't end up being anything like a horror film. Uh, that's what happened Could when you, you imagine comedy. that, though? Uh, Alvarez directing Doctor Strange would have been fucking awesome. And I love oh, Scott Derrickson Steven's directing. hands would be so broken. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm super happy with what we got for Doctor Strange, Same. so I'm I'm cool with the way things are progressing. But it'd be interesting to give him a mythical character and let enough budget where he doesn't feel like he has to tether it. Alvarez has said he's totally game for going to Marvel one day after he's directed a few more movies. So I would be very excited to see what he what he does. <laughs> Maybe we will get a Doctor Strange movie out of him. Uh, he casts, uh, he does the Fantastic Four movie, and he gets Mads Mikkelsen to be. <laughs> Mr. Fantastic, and just like stretch. he actually has to do the arm stretch thing. Stretch! Stretch! stretch. That means we get Jane Levy as Susan Storm. Uh, that's or Doctor Doom, gap. potentially. <laughs> oh, God, Stephen Lang is Doctor Doom. Oh, that'd be interesting. He, he didn't get to be Cable after doing all of those sit-ups, so I think I give him something. He does those for fun. That man is a god. Also, I love a nail gun in a movie so much. It's not used enough. I'm slightly bothered by the impracticality of turning a nail gun into a real weapon, but in a movie universe, I accept it. Oh, it's video I game logic. Lo I love weaponized nail guns that shoot projectiles. Like, I wrote a horror script a few years back where I intentionally put that in just to be silly. Remember? Because it, that means horror movies.
Yeah. Remember uh, Small Soldiers? I think that was where the concept of a nail gun was introduced to me as a weapon. <laughs> where the kid gets I, shot by, like, it's not even a nail gun, is it? It's like a corn cob holder or something like that. It's something weird. <laughs> Small Soldiers is one of those movies I would love to have on Blu-ray. I'm surprised that's not out in some sort of collector's edition. Corn cob holders are very dangerous. I'd imagine, yeah. Trying to put in the corn, all of a sudden it's just implanted in your hand. <laughs> yeah, I knew this man. was how I'd die. You mean like your knees pinhead? <laughs> the number one thing all characters in horror movies want. <laughs> but dazzle my legs, make me pin knee. If someone was about to kill me with a um, nail gun, my final thought would be, thank God I'm going to at least die looking like pinhead. <laughs> someone will get this as a joke. Oh, I'm dead. I think that really that's the only consolation prize to dying young is the potential to leave an interesting corpse. <laughs> you can do that as an old person. Come on. I, I know, cool. Mike, you've told us on several occasions your desire to leave behind a deadly mystery with your body. Oh, yes. I have whole plans. I have a, I have secret pockets where things will be put. There's going to be a book somewhere in Europe in a library that has a page missing. It's going to be a thing. Now, folks, you at home may think that Mike is telling a silly comedy joke. I assure you he is not. We've discussed this. <laughs> I have notes somewhere. And Mike just wants to be the Summerton man. <laughs> <laughs> it's my dream. Uh, look at that fucked up hand. <laughs> a little fucked Seriously, up Seriously, just imagine this is Benedict Cumberbatch. No, I'm a surgeon. Teach me. So I was trying to remember uh, one. Apparently, that hand flopping against the wall took like a crazy number of takes because it just didn't flop correctly. But the crowbar strikes—they had to come up with like a really weird, practical way of doing it, where it wasn't just like a foam crowbar, but there was like a magnetic plate that it was on oh, yeah. the spring and going towards, so it wouldn't hit the actor. But like they could actually have lighter metals that were still swinging and connecting. Which, in my mind, I would have just gotten a foam crowbar and just whacked the guy until it snapped and looked really cheesy. But, yeah, it's an interesting way of doing it. It looks so it painful something. and harsh. Yeah, well, the sound effects really sell it. I think part of it might be like what they did in Cabin in the Woods, where they just had the crowbar like on a zip line, kind of, and it just went straight into a plate. So it sawed off on one end, and you just put the crowbar into the guy's face. Shut up, Steve. <laughs> Why do I feel like if this movie was made in the early 2000s, this would be Matthew Lillard? Oh, man, that'd be awesome. He's kind of the shaggy of the movie. Yeah, maybe it's just the long hair. We're all thinking of that. Also, I love how that was the deadly serious version of the entire cabin beginning to laugh. Yeah. <laughs> Which I've always loved. It's the little references back to the original Evil Dead 1 and 2 that I find fascinating, just the way they were able to rework in ways you don't even really notice. Yeah, or like the whole thing where Mia comes back at the end to be the Ash character. Yeah. Because, I mean, in the original Evil Dead, it's not hinted who the main character is for most of the film. You don't think it's going to be Ash, even though on rewatches it makes more sense. Because he's got an actual arc, like he goes from coward to a guy kind of fighting for something. And then this one, they have the two male leads, and it looks like it's going to be a buddy movie between those while Mia's possessed. Oh, and this, this movie... last act here, they flip it all on its head, where all of a sudden it's, no, still Mia's story. 
Yeah, this movie has this is like one of the most impressive slights of hand I've seen in a movie. Like, like it's this movie has a secret protagonist who is also the villain. <laughs> you don't see that. Especially not in horror. I mean, what other horror movie can you think of where the chief antagonist just switches sides and becomes the badass action hero in the end? I'm drawing a blank. It's probably more common where it's the other way, where a guy seems like a hero the whole time and then turns out to be the bad guy. Oh, yeah. That's a trope. No, you don't. You brought a date to a goddamn intervention. You were hoping to get some tonight. Look, if you're going to a cabin in the middle of New Zealand, you take a a date. That's just protocol. It doesn't matter if you're going to visit, like, your dying father or your drug-addicted sister. Fun fact, the the evil faceless thing in the woods is actually Andy Serkis. His acting's so good, but it can't be captured on camera! (laughs) So all I'm imagining is what if this weekend went the way it was planned and he and that girl got in the car afterwards and he was just like, so that's my family. <laughs> that's a good bonding moment. Like he doesn't have his mom anymore and I, I'm assuming his dad is dead. So that's, hey, want to meet my sister before she possibly, possibly ODs? Right, we, God, fucking, I love how it's just the same shot. But uh, can we just, we passed lightning for a second. Can you just tell me? I'm so happy that just looked like old movie lightning. I you know, know it only passes by for a second. I love old movie lightning. Uh, fun lightning fact. I was doing research <laughs> for Scooby-Doo, and there was a point where they retired the old lightning sound effect, where it was like a sheet of metal they would just wobble. No. That's so sad. They actually have like new actual recordings of lightning they use for Foley effects instead of the old school tin sheet smacked by a hammer. That's bullshit. I'm very upset about it. It's in the old sound effects home, along with man being eaten by alligator. <laughs> Tool shed. <laughs> I wish they just slipped in Bruce Campbell saying tool sheds into the background of a scene. So for the post credit scene, instead of Bruce Campbell going groovy, they just did work shed. <laughs> this is dramatic. He just lifts his head. Work shed. Like how confused people would be and how happy others would be. <laughs> There's the old story like Kurt Russell, the first time he ever met Bruce Campbell, just walked up to him and he said, save work shed. <laughs> oh, yeah. I like that Russell's a fan. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. If you look at uh, The Hateful Eight, it's essentially just an old Western version of the thing. And Kurt was willing to keep the mustache for that, so he must have been into it. I always love how Kurt Russell is exactly how you want Kurt Russell to be. Right down to discovering aliens. Oh, yeah. My favorite story in the world. I am not familiar with this story offhand. Kurt Russell is the one who called in the Phoenix Lights. (laughs) What? The famous. This is going to be something about. James Cameron, not like actual UFO sightings. Yep. <laughs> One of the most famous UFO sightings in modern history was called in by Kurt Russell. Who only revealed this during the press for Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> Why not? 
Because he was in his private plane flying his son home and saw some aliens. (laughs) And somehow he didn't battle them. Well, wasn't the story like he didn't think about it for years and years until he was just in his living room and Goldie was watching a documentary about the Phoenix Lights? <laughs> so what Kurt Russell discovers aliens and then he shrugs it off like eh. <laughs> that is yes, how fucking he's Kurt cool Russell. Kurt Russell is <laughs> boy that's a career highlight waiting to shrug off discovering alien life forms <laughs> and this was 1997 the year <laughs> fucking escape from LA came out <laughs> I forgot I how many times that. this guy comes to the rescue <laughs> like he should have been dead 20 minutes ago that's why he's like my favorite character in the movie besides Mia. I, he's my favorite character. I'm very sad that he had to die. He's like, um, I don't know. I'm always reminded of Windows from the thing. Oh, <laughs> he's, yeah. He's, he's like Windows. You just want to see what he's like, up to. I, I love Windows, but man, that guy was useless in that movie. <laughs> Super useless. He mostly just gets in the way, gets hurt, doesn't raise the radios. Like, he's not very good at his job. Well, we're a fucking million miles from nowhere, man. I'm glad you took the bait. <laughs> well, we're calling it here. The world ends in the Thing universe because of Windows. <laughs> I also, uh, I think this is a callback. It's hard to tell. When he pulls the exact or the the razor out of his stomach, I think it's supposed to be a throwback to in the original Evil Dead when the guy pulls the tree limb out of his stomach, and it looks a little bit like he's having his dick pulled off. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of things that look like dicks in the original Evil Dead. Yeah, the best part was they didn't even intend that. They didn't realize it was kind of a dick joke until like they aired the film to friends and people started laughing. <laughs> There's so much we didn't know what was actually on the film when it comes to the first. <laughs> That's something that I always found very frustrating when uh, a lot of horror fans reacted negative to negatively to this, both before. The movie was made and afterwards. It's like, okay, I understand. Beetlejuice. Com- <laughs> I understand comparing it to Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness, Darkness, which are classics, but the Evil Dead is objectively not that great. It's I mean, an, we all love the Evil Dead, but. It's an it's accidental comedy. Yeah. Like, it, they were trying to be scary, and it just. You know, it's their inexperience makes it kind of funny. Like when Ash hits a deadite with a log ten times in a row, like the repetitions of the shot just makes it funny. And they're the first people to tell you, like that's why Bruce Campbell is always like, "No, no it's not a good movie. Watch this one." Well, the, the funniest part in my mind is when I was a kid, I didn't have access to Evil Dead. You know, I was a kid, so I read the script because that was online. <laughs> and if you just read what's on the paper. Some of the drafts for that are really fucking scary. Like, as a kid, reading the Evil Dead stuff, like, it was terrifying to put that together in my mind. And then when you watch the movie, it was enjoyable, but not scary in the same sense. Like, it had some good jumps, but there's a lot of parts that just made me laugh. So it was such a weird whiplash situation going from script to finished product. Well, my experience with these movies was I watched them in reverse. So Army of Darkness, Evil Dead 2, Evil Dead... And Same. Yeah, that's a hell of an experience. I think I did machete order. I got my hands on Army of Darkness 
when I was a kid, like Shopko just sold to me because I think my mom was in the area, even though it was radar. So I watched that one without knowing there were movies that actually filled out that prologue. So then I found out about Evil Dead, found the script for Evil Dead, read that, like Shazam or Kazam, I guess it would be, pirated a copy of the original Evil Dead, watched it one night when my parents were gone and my sister was out of town. So I was, you know, in a dark, stormy night while no one was around, I just snuck in Evil Dead and years later got to Evil Dead 2. Which is probably for the best because each movie has a very distinct flavor. It's like Neapolitan ice cream. Well, it's it's funny. So many of the people who get so passionate defending the original movie seem to just be thinking of Evil Dead 2. I noticed that a lot, yeah. It's very Evil common. Evil Dead 2 is an all-timer. I love Evil Dead 2. I can't deny that at all. I have a very fond spot in my heart for Evil Dead, but I will recognize when I'm referring to the Evil Dead franchise, I'm probably talking about Evil Dead 2. Pretty much. The, the Evil Dead doesn't really enter my mind that much whenever I'm talking about how much I love Evil Dead. It's, it's mostly Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness. I love uh, the cellar effects. Like, just just the deadite in the cellar looks so spooky. Uh, the end credit song. I, I love that <laughs> juxtaposition. That uplifting, kind of funny, jolty noise when it's essentially a sad ending. Like, at the time, Ash just died. I love the low-budgetness of it. It has a lot of charm, I would say. Evil Dead 2 is a movie I enjoy watching. Evil Dead 1 is kind of like a fun, gimmicky kind of movie to watch. It's a movie that's mostly interesting from a filmmaking standpoint. Like, oh, wow, yeah. th- these kids went in the woods and they made a movie. It's almost more fun reading about how they made Evil Dead than watching Evil Dead. Like, the stories that came out of it and how it formed Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell really are a blast. That's why I never really minded that much the original was being remade, because, all right, make a cool straight horror movie out of what was originally supposed to be a cool straight horror movie, but didn't really work out that way. That's what I thought was so funny when I saw people get angry when it was first announced that there wasn't an Ash in this movie. Little did they know. <laughs> like People were mad, like, they're doing Evil Dead without Ash? Oh, yeah, Ash. The, mean, first, the first Evil Dead didn't really have Ash. He's a non-character for like the whole movie. He doesn't have any of his trademarks at all besides he's played by Bruce Campbell in a more awkward, stilted way. I will say, though, for the original Dead's credit, it goes balls out on zero dollars for the ending. Like when the demon oh, yeah. hands burst out of the body oh, yeah. and they're covered in cream corn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Evil Dead does have a legitimately great ending. Like That's oh, an all-timer. Oh, it's amazing. I, yeah, I love that finale. And I do like how they kind of spread out the character deaths in that one a little bit more. There's a good rhythm there that Sam, Sam Raimi's working with, where it's not just one person disappears, then they die, and then the next person discovers the body and they die. You know, it's like, at, at points you'll have, like, two people that get confronted by multiple bad guys. And they'll switch around where they get overwhelmed, or they win for a minute, but somebody else gets possessed. The dynamics are kind of fun in that one, how they shift. Is anyone bummed out that they, when they went to the river, they didn't have, like, that really crappy claw? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, the bridge is all torn up like it's supposed to be a hand, but no! it doesn't look anything like a hand. Like, it's cool they found an actual flooded river, but it would have been fun if they oh, CGI'd it. has to be it. stupid. Yeah, it would have been fun if they CGI'd something dumb like a, a thumbs-up skeleton hand. <laughs> <laughs> thumbs yeah. up. <laughs> 
oh no, we're being haunted by rad ghosts. It's the Schwarzenegger Bridge. They've all got sunglasses. How is that not a horror movie? Being haunted by the 90s. That's going to be the first box office pulp production. I'm surprised that wasn't like the plot of suburban gothic. Also, I love where this this third act takes the drug metaphor in this movie. Where Mia literally has to hit rock bottom and die before dragging herself out of hell and becoming a hero. So if anyone's looking for a key illustrative difference between Evil Dead original and reboot, I would say that kill is definitely it. Like, in the original, there's no way a Deadite would be efficient. Like, if it came at you, if it came at you, it would really miss by, like, a country mile, or it would, like, announce itself by laughing behind you for a minute, so, like, you turn around and then, like, then have a fight. And this one, the Deadite actually just would stab you in the back if it gets a chance. So it's it's just a very weird thing in my mind. Like, in Evil Deadland, the Deadites are wacky kind of obstacles that are there to torment you. And fuck around and make this kind of a fun experience. And this one is here to really actually scare you. Well, I've, I've always felt like, and this is just doofy headcanon, I kind of just feel like the Deadites in the original movies are just gods. And nothing that actually happens in those movies matter because they've already won. <laughs> That's especially true if you look at the original ending to Army of Darkness. <laughs> What, the end of the world one? Oh, yeah. Oh, I had always just figured that was, uh, people are so shitty they blew up the planet. Like, Ash slept too long and it's going to happen like that regardless of what he does. Damn you apes. Pretty much, yeah. Oh, it's like, the Dead Knights in the original are just there, like, to be trolls and fuck with you and be, like, kooky horror characters that don't really have a goal. Like, I mean, they kind of have a goal, but very nebulous. They're they have a goal. kind of like... So they're actually kind of like mythological demons more than like the yeah. common idea of a demon. They're like that's, trickster spirits. That's kind of why I was asking before about the deepened mythology of this film, because it gives purpose to the bad guys. Oh, Hidden Skull! Uh, throwback. Like, it gives the villains actual meaning to what they're trying to do, whereas in the original, they were they were trying to kill these guys and steal their souls, I guess, and possess their bodies, but for no real purpose. Like, there's just something they're fucking around with. Gentlemen, and me, we have officially reached the end of the film. Blood season! See, whenever I first watched this movie, up until this point, I was like, yeah, this is, this is pretty solid. This is the moment where I realized, oh, I'm watching a great movie, aren't I? <laughs> it the gets ending so here fucking is fantastic. epic. This is what really makes me bummed out there's not a two, because Fede finally feels free to go off the chain here and do more of the supernatural elements, which he, he kind of resists earlier in the film, which is very odd, because we definitely know it's Evil Dead, it's going to be supernatural. See, this is the moment this movie goes from being a seven to a fucking ten. <laughs> I love it so much. Well, we get the the great spot where the abomination, you know, causes all the rain to come out. Uh, we get the jeep on the arm. We get the machete through the leg while she's hiding in the building. Uh, 
there's a lot of a lot of really great effect things happening right here and balls to the wall kind of action. And I, I wish maybe they kicked in a little bit earlier with this kind of stuff. I like, don't know if it was a ramp. I, I don't know if it was a choice because he was maybe in, in maybe in case there was a sequel or just it had more to do with he only had so much money so just save it for the third act and make the third <laughs> act as bonkers as possible. That might be very true, yeah. 17 million sounds like a lot, but as we said before, it really isn't. I do think it's mostly just, yeah, a budgetary thing. And to to, uh, his praise, this does not look like a cheap film. Like, everything about it looks very slick and well done. Especially since it's all practical effects. They still hold up five years later. This does not look like it's aged. Yeah, that is not CGI blood falling from the sky to save money. That is... Gallons upon gallons upon gallons of blood on a set. And you can tell, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, even now, if you watch a movie that was made three years ago and it, it goes heavy on the CGI, it, it, it looks that way. Like, a couple of years later, you will definitely be able to tell and just doesn't look the same. God, I'm fascinated that she has to fuel up the chainsaw. (laughs) No, the gas cap. Ah, the tension. (laughs) She should have just gone for the machete. So I don't know why, but knowing that there was a real dude playing the abomination just makes my skin crawl for some reason. There was just some dude doing stuff like that. And it's technically Jane Levy. (laughs) Also, we, we kind of skipped over this, but in the background score, they incorporated like an air raid siren. Oh, yeah. Which I, I can't decide if that's too on the nose for the situation or if it just makes so much sense. I'm surprised more people haven't done it. It really it makes the score you on for edge. the scene. Oh, yeah. And it makes the score for the scene just from a like a subconscious point of view just seem off. You don't usually hear that. No, but we haven't really talked about it, but I love the score for this film so much. It's very underrated. It's a fun score to listen to. I believe uh, Campbell described it as an opera with some dialogue thrown in. <laughs> like, technically, uh, like a large chunk of it is based around like a tango beat, isn't it? Yeah. Which is interesting. That's something like Marco Beltrami would try and do. Damn it, movies! Chainsaw start function. <laughs> chainsaw saw the chain. Damn it! I was so happy to see someone in the movie actually do that underneath the car with a chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big problem I have with movie chainsaws. Is typically people get them and then they don't use them. They're more like an intimidation weapon. Like you'll kind of wave it around or maybe saw up some wood. But it's very rare you'll see someone actually get chainsawed properly in a horror film. Black Sheep comes to mind. They had that chainsaw, and I think it gets thrown off of a Jeep at some point, and no evil sheep men get chainsawed. (laughs) So So I love how much emphasis Mia's hand gets. (laughs) Yes, this is in fact happening. I think this is a good part to talk about the fact that in the development of this film, this was considered in continuity with the Evil Dead. 
and to a more nebulous point, Evil Dead to an army of darkness. And that mythology-wise, these events were just reoccurring for reasons that would be gone into later. <laughs> Which is, I'm assuming, why we see the Delta earlier. Like, it's yeah. actually Ash's uh, Delta that somehow did not get sucked into the past. Exactly. I think they, there was so much talk, which was surprising about a crossover. Like, I don't know how a crossover would work where you have Mia and, like, a six-year-old Ash. I imagine it's a lot like Ash versus Evil Dead. <laughs> Probably. I mean, if they do an Ash versus Evil Dead movie, uh, no offense to Mia, but it's got to be just the Ghost Beaters. Hey, I'm all for her being the villain. <laughs> The glory. <laughs> it's also interesting if this is maybe just a sequel to The Evil Dead, and they're essentially setting up Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness being a separate universe, but... Which would make weird... sense, weirdly. Yeah, it, would, it does in Evil Dead logic. Considering essentially... the number of people that still think Evil Dead 2 is just a remake of Evil Dead 1, <laughs> sure. Why not? But just the idea that Ash died in the original The Evil Dead, so these events have to occur in this universe to balance them in some way. There's a lot of weird, like, interesting ways you can kind of, like, make that yeah, for a crossover. That was, that was kind of the fun of the uh, Army of Darkness comic books. Like, they really embrace the different timelines and time travel aspect of Army of Darkness. And they'll go all over the place like, oh, we're going back to the past again, so you have to fight a different version of Evil Ash. Or, like, you go into the future, or there's just, like, 30 different timelines they jump all over. So they get pretty damn goofy, which is probably the only way to handle something as ridiculous as trying to figure out the timelines and universes of the Evil Dead universe. It makes me wonder if they recycled any ideas for the crossover for any world building for Ash versus Evil Dead. I'm not sure. I think the comic books went really big, and they focused on Army of Darkness, more so than anything else, at least the ones I've seen. Whereas Ash vs. Evil Dead has steered away from a lot of Army of Darkness references and characters and situations, and has done more Evil Dead 2 kind of stuff. Due to legal reasons. Yeah, they, they made references to Army of Darkness here and there. So I don't think been it's able totally to this out. season. But yeah. Yeah. It, it is weird to think like we think like whenever Ash versus Evil Dead premiered, it was this amazing moment of oh my god, we're seeing Ash again. But there's actually kind of a lot of Ash if you look at like the comics and the games and shit. Ash, like there's several different versions of what happens to Ash after those movies. And they all conflict with each other, including that one Xbox game that's a sequel to Evil Dead 2, where Army of Darkness never happened, which fascinates me. Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, if, if and it had Ted to... Raimi in it, so it was technically more canon <laughs> than the other games. I mean, if you if you look at the chronology, too, of the movies, it's really like the first three movies happened over a course of five days or something. <laughs> like... Evil Dead 1 happens over one night. Evil Dead 2 happens over the next night. Evil Dead... Uh, Army of Darkness... From Ash's point of view, like, from sleep count, I guess, he goes into the past, but, like, all of those events happen over two or three days for him. About three. 
Yeah, by the time you like try and figure out how long it takes for like the Deadite army to arrive and all that shit. Maybe four. Yeah, like it's a week at most <laughs> that Ash goes through all of this. So if he keeps up that pace, he had to have had thousands of adventures throughout his life. You'd think. So that's what that's what I love about Ash versus Evil Dead. Apparently Ash just got a trailer and smoked a bunch of weed for thirty years. <laughs> Mostly so Ash up thing again, in the world. And now yeah, he just has enough problems where like he just doesn't care about police anymore. This would have been the part I was thinking of where I was uh, tango based. Yeah. As someone who doesn't know a single thing about tangos, go ahead and correct me, people at home. I love, well, this, I love this piece of score because it sounds like it's from Evil Dead. <laughs> <laughs> it really does. I love how much this credit sequence is a celebration of the movie you just watched, <laughs> which a lot of like most credit sequences are nowadays. But this one seems to have especially earned it. Well, again, this is 2013. I think more elaborate credit sequences like that are getting a little bit more common now. I think especially after horror films, a lot of times it's like you get one last jump scare and then it kind of go into like these credits where maybe you have a little bit of concept art in the background and credits rolling over top. Also, voice of Cheryl from the original Evil Dead. Oh, yeah. Someone could do actually probably really interesting research on that and just study the evolution of end credits. I, most people probably just ignore them, but I remember like every once in a while having a lot of fun watching the end credits and how they chose to animate them, especially with cartoons. Oh, I fucking uh, love end credits. I I, lo- I hate whenever it's just and then the credits start to roll and nothing cool is happening. Yeah, Leica films are always the best for that because they'll like either have a little video showing how you how they did the stop motion, or maybe they'll have like stop motion characters just fucking around between the words and stuff. Like Coraline in 3D was a lot of fun to watch the credits on because they had. 3D stop motion characters like the dogs flying around all the words. I'm easily entertained. And then we have Mystery Science Theater, the movie, which has the greatest closing credits of all time. (laughs) Boy, I remember at the time how many people were freaking out because there's the recording of the original uh, Professor Nolby. Oh, yeah. And then the Bruce Campbell thing. Like, I saw this movie once on my own, and then like, another time with another friend who's big and evil dead. And he was so confused by that ending. Like, he was excited, but he's like, what, what did that have to do with anything? Nothing. Yeah, like, what do you tell him? Like, ah, we just sat around for ten minutes so you could see Bruce Campbell. <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> yeah, I love how like, that's there for no other reason than to just say, this gets the Campbell seal of approval. Well, who filmed that? Did Fede actually film Fede the did. Bruce Campbell I, scene? Yeah, Fede did. Which I think is... he talked about how Campbell was confused, but Fede refused to have the movie without Ash appearing in some form. <laughs> so just say groovy. He he uh, he films it like it does a super hardcore Raimi pastiche there. Like he turns his head and turns to the music. There's that little quick shimmy zoom in. Oh, yeah. Like, it looks like something Sam Raimi would have filmed on his spare day. Which is cool. It's a hint towards something we'll never see. I don't know how serious they were about that. That might have just been something like Tapper was saying to get original fans back in his corner. Like, yeah, no, we're going to cross over and uh, Ash will be back. Considering they were still talking about it like a year later and Campbell was and everybody involved was apparently pretty serious. Remember when Campbell was promoting the 
DVD, that was all he was talking about while promoting. He was just laying out the film-by-film film plan. <laughs> I mean, honestly, at this point, if we were to get an Evil Dead 2, I would love it if they just kept with Mia and then let Ash have Ash versus Evil Dead. At this point, with it not being... like. At the time, an Evil Dead 2 was going to be like, oh my god, we'll finally see Ash again. That character will have an ending. Yeah. I mean, at this point, he's kind of had his swan song. So it's kind of unnecessary. I mean, if they figure out like something really cool for her to do for like a third movie, that's cool. But I would just like to see this universe again. Especially because it's different enough where it's... And we'll probably go off in even more different and crazy directions that it wouldn't feel redundant in any way. I hope it has the exact same arc as the original Evil Dead movies. Oh, I actually I made the- up that zoom in my head. He just turns his head. <laughs> it's still very Raimi. Like, could you imagine Evil Dead 3 is just, like, set in feudal Japan <laughs> with, <laughs> with me a time traveling? I would be so happy. I don't know how I'd feel about Fede doing essentially a comedy. I haven't seen his comedy chops practice so much, so maybe he's really funny. I don't know. Have you seen Don't Breathe, Cody? He shot money! <laughs> Or anything from Stephen Lang's performance. <laughs> God. Really, if you just look at Don't Breathe as a kids in the hall sketch, it plays completely different. That's I think true. that might be the difference in our reactions to Don't Breathe. <laughs> <laughs> I maybe took it as a little bit more straight than it is. How dare you see that horror film as a horror film? It is a zany, weekend at Bernie-style comedy. I would probably appreciate it more if I took it that way. But that's a commentary for another time. Cha-ching. See how I transitioned to the end of the movie since the credits have stopped? That's why they don't pay me any money. Anyways, folks, this has been a bop in a movie. I've been your host, Cody. I've been Jamie. And I have unfortunately been Mike. Let's do this again in another five years. Yeah, yeah. Make it 20. Anyways, if you've enjoyed this, you can find more of Box Office Pulp. We're on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter at Box Office Pulp. Uh, We're on Stitcher. I believe iTunes. Uh, I don't think we have a MySpace, but who knows? We're kind of everywhere. I was waiting for one of you guys to jump in and promote like graphic novelism or some shit. Also listen to graphic novelism. Graphicnovelism.com. Nice. It's about, it's about comic books and it's smarter than this show. I'm not on it, so it's automatically smarter. <laughs> no one talks about Scooby Doo in the middle of a commentary. Graphic novels. Yet. That's true. <laughs> we we will cover Scooby Doo comic books one day, I assume. Uh, what's that, Scooby Apocalypse? Anyways, we don't need to get into that now. There'll be another day in time for Scooby-Doo. That's been a wrap, folks. Take her away! And then I violently vomit blood all over everyone through their computer monitors. Uh, what else is new? You get more out of life when you go out to a movie.
Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. Workshed. This is Box Office Pulp Guy, and this has been a Pulp Podcast production. Now please, 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 put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight. And now, on with the show.